everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, Donna Bursky, Senior Chaplain for Advent Health Medical Group, MDiv grad, and current DMIN student at the seminary, joins the podcast today. She provides pastoral care to a 4,000-person congregation composed of doctors, nurses, physicians' assistants, and staff. As she integrates her faith with her work, she provides a listening ear, a non-anxious presence, and spiritual care for those who are working on the front lines to heal others. In today's conversation, we talk about her calling, heart to serve others, and explore her dissertation research that is finding ways to equip healthcare workers to become spiritual ambassadors so they can find a deeper meaning in their work and provide whole person care to others. Let's listen. Donna, thank you so much for joining me today. It is an absolute delight to have you. Um, You're the senior chaplain for Advent Health Medical Group and a current DMIN student. So we have a lot to talk about today. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. You grew up as a missionary kid in Vietnam and the Philippines. So like some of us, you knew about Jesus your whole life. When did your faith become personal to you? So... Well, some years ago, it was uh, before my first Asbury experience when I got an MDiv. Um, I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. And in the process of dealing with that, my marriage of many years blew up. And I mean, like for most of us, against my will. Um, Mm -hmm. And I found myself face down in the dirt not knowing what the future was. I still had children at home and I was terrified for them, terrified for me and clinging to everything that I could for help. And a very good doctor and oncologist said to me, he actually held my hand and he said, Donna, this is the moment you need to go home and you need to drill down and decide what are one or two at most three things that really matter in your life? And I realized, obviously, my children. But I realized my faith really mattered, but it had never been personal. Uh I had the faith of my parents. And so in that year and a half of cancer therapy, of divorce, of unknowns of every kind, emotional, financial, would I live, you know, was treatment working, all of those things, my faith became very personal. Were you a chaplain prior to this? What were you doing before? And how did, how did this experience kind of change your trajectory? Yeah, so I did uh, project development uh, within a finance sphere prior to that. I was doing fine. But I was putting in time, I think. Uh And ironically, I had felt a call to ministry when I first started college. And my dad had said, no, women don't do that, which he thought he was doing the right thing. So Mm -hmm. as I went through this just mind-numbing reassessment of life, I realized a call to ministry. And of course, at that time, I really felt called to the medical world. 
And so I, what year was this? Um, 2001. Okay. And I remember going through this treatment for a period of months and then they were going to assess whether it was working and whether to keep on. Okay. And I went in for all these imaging scans of various kinds. It took about five hours to do all of them. And I was cold and weak and tired. And I could tell that the person working with me was, she was concerned about me personally, not just getting the scans done. And when it was all done, her boss came over and he said, we'd like you just to stay here. We're calling your doctor because we want to be able to tell you what we see or have him do it on the phone and you not have to drive all the way across town to get the results. That was, that was It was spiritual care. Yes. I yes. had no energy left. I was afraid. I was tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was emaciated. And... And, um, so I sat there and waited and they got the doctor on the phone and he sat there beside me and they told me that my scans were completely clear and that what they were doing had not only worked, it worked more than they expected. And then this person in imaging asked, may I pray with you? That's where my dissertation is coming from, right there. Wow. Okay. So tell me about your dissertation because, well, okay. Let's tell me about what you did next because you didn't just jump from that experience to writing your dissertation. So take me through the journey of how you got to where you are now. So after that, I reached out to several people who I respected, um, And there was overlap in my work with, because I work in a faith-based healthcare system, there was overlap in my work between mission and what I did. And so I reached out to a couple of the people that I really respected and told them I was sensing a call to ministry. And one of them actually directed me to Asbury. And uh, so I did a unit of clinical pastoral education first to kind of test the waters mm-hmm. and finished that and enrolled at Asbury to do an MDiv. Okay. Wow. And, you know, I was never the brightest student, but I was always the fully engaged student. Like <laughs> every minute of Asbury. Yeah. So then were you preparing at that time to become a chaplain? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Once I did that unit of CPE, I had to have two to become a chaplain. I needed the degree done, but they actually hired me about midpoint in my degree uh, to move into full-time chaplaincy. And yeah, I've never looked back. Yeah. And you were doing this on the Orlando campus. Winter Park. Winter Park. Okay. Winter Park. I was there 17 years, I think, full-time. And, and part of the time I was split between Winter Park and, and uh, Altamont. But, but I, what I meant was that you were studying on the Orlando campus. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Yes. yes. And so, so that was perfect because then you could study and keep working at the same time. And not move, be near my family. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. And it was a small, tight, close community. Yeah. So you started out at Winter Park Memorial Hospital being a chaplain for patients. Mm -hmm. How did you transition to being a chaplain for healthcare providers? So at Winter Park, through most of my years there, I was a lead chaplain, kind of directed mission for the hospital and vision for mission for that hospital, which is a 400-bed hospital, and built up a chaplain team. But through all of my time as a chaplain, my heartbeat was possibly more with the clinical team than the patient. I always felt like if I took really good care of nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists and lab people, that the patient received that. Mm -hmm. And it impacted every patient that they cared for, not just the one I could see. So I did a lot of patient care, but I've always been about team. So Advent Health Medical Group has been growing and they've had no real disciplined pastoral care. And it's huge. There's 300 practices in eight counties, all disciplines, specialties, primary care, 1,200 providers, doctors and PAs, 1,200 staff, and no spiritual care. So I was asked to start a program for them, to build a program of pastoral care for them as a congregation. So I don't do, you know, what I do has nothing to do with the patients. My role is to begin to develop a process of spirituality embedded within everything they are. Wow. There's one, you know, Uh almost 4,000. Yeah. What a huge job. It's 3,800 people. So it became very evident that I had to do something more than one thing to Uh extend myself. Uh So the first thing I did was we set up a weekly, first of all, a private email with no name on it. And twice a week, an email goes out inviting people to send confidential prayers. And I write answers and prayers for all of them. And then the other thing I'm doing is this process that I'm embedding in my dissertation Uh of what we're calling spiritual ambassadors to train and equip people in the office from doctors to, to people who do cleaning, to people at the front desk, to people on the phone, to nurses, to MAs who step up and say, I want to be a presence for Jesus in this place. Mm, yeah. So teaching them, you know, non-judgmental listening, mm-hmm. teaching them to find comfort with prayer and to be comfortable praying with people of different faiths, to uh, teach them to listen and reflect. So all those things that they can do within the sphere of their work that can be what that man was to me that day in that imaging department. Mm -hmm. I care for you beyond just taking this picture. I care for who you are and your soul. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. My goal 
is one in every office, one person in every office, it looks like. And I'd like to have people across all disciplines, but I'm already hearing from all kinds of people who want to, are the videos ready? Can we start training yet? So there's going to be a good response. Yeah, it sounds like people are really excited about it. Yeah. That's really that's really awesome, especially right now. So how did you cuz you're a current demon student at Asbury. Mm-hmm. What cohort are you in? Faith work and economics. That's a perfect fit for you, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm right at the intersection of faith and work. I yes. sit right there. How did you come to Asbury the second time? Eric Curry. Okay. I took somebody into the Orlando campus that was looking at their MDiv program. And Eric said, Donna, we have a DMN you should do. And we can help you. We can scholarship you a little bit. By the end of the day, I'd applied. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So you said that that moment in imaging was what gave you the idea for your dissertation. Yes. Um, and so your dissertation is studying the effect- effectiveness of training frontline workers to do in the gap spiritual care. Can you tell us a little bit, you've already started, but can you tell us a little bit more about your dissertation? So grounding my dissertation in Nehemiah. Okay. I think Nehemiah and the wall is a classic example of extending yourself. You know, Nehemiah was a layperson, Ezra was clergy. And they put this plan together to pull everyone together to get the job done, to rebuild the walls. And also Paul. I think Paul is an example of extending himself through his colleagues who he poured his attention into and sent them out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's great. How are you, why is it so important that people who take care of other people are equipped to do spiritual care as well if they want to do that? So one of the things, and this comes from my time in the hospital, because I haven't been gone from inpatient care very long. Doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, all those frontline clinical caregivers get worn down. Mm -hmm. Especially Especially right now. Even when it's good, so really right now. They work hard. They're getting pushed from above. They're getting pushed from patients and their families. They get pushed, you know, from every direction, save money, don't do this, do that, don't do this, do that. And they burn out if they don't have meaning. Uh And for so many people, if they can bring spirituality into their work, it then gives them a deep sense of meaning and the hazards and the the things that come along don't matter as much because my purpose is deeper. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. to make you happy. I want you to be comfortable. But my purpose is that you're well in soul and body and spirit. That's a deep place of meaning that really helps us deal with a cranky doctor or a cranky spouse or a cranky administrator. Mm-hmm. So you're in Florida right now, and we know that COVID is still pretty rampant everywhere. But but as you're caring for these almost 4,000 healthcare workers in the midst of this crisis, um, it's a big job by itself before COVID. But what is it like 
right now in your area as you guys have been dealing with this for the last 18 months and you are caring for people who are worn out and tired but still committed to caring for other people? People are reaching the end of their commitment. So again, as I meet with them and talk to them and try to encourage, there are several things that are an answer. And one is prayer. Mm -hmm. Rarely do I pray with anyone, either individually or in a group, that everyone doesn't end up crying. Mm because it goes right down into their soul to those places that they're trying to avoid the pain. Mm -hmm. And in prayer, you can't. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things we're dealing with right now is hostility. You know, people are acting out in actually criminal ways, uh, patients and coworkers, as there's disagreement and fear. Fear is under that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have done some debriefs with teams after difficult situations or where they're not all getting along to try and find places of understanding that they can work from. So I recently worked with a team that one person came to work with COVID and knew it. Oh, my. And thought it would be okay because she had a mask on and she gave it to the whole team. And there were some difficulties is they gave it to family members, some people that got very sick. And the anger was immense. So my role was to sit with them a few times with coffee and cookies <laughs> yeah, and try to help them hear each other. Mm -hmm. Because she was coming to work partly not realizing the depth of how serious COVID is, as unimaginable as that is, partly because she's a single mother of three small children with no dad support, and she was terrified of loss of income. She was terrified of being homeless. Uh -huh. So when placed in the threat of having her children homeless or going to work wearing a mask thinking that she was covering her, her germs, she made that decision. Well, when people really started to listen to her heart, they're still not happy, but they could work yeah. over again and they're mending their fences slowly. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a rough thing to heal from, but conversation is so important for yes. many areas of our lives. Yeah. Tell me like, what does the rest of your role look like, especially during COVID as it's more difficult to meet with people and things like that. So I have had, I've been vaccinated and I've had COVID and I've had monoclonal infusion. So I feel indestructible and I should, <laughs> I do. No, yeah. So I mask up and glove up and go visit Okay. in the office. I don't, again, I don't see patients. We're all being tested regularly. And, you know, most, I always ask people if they're vaccinated. Because uh, I'm a vaccine believer, but mm -hmm. if nothing else, we don't get it as badly if we're vaccinated. Mm -hmm. I, I get the fear factor, but so I visit practices um, part of the time. I spend a lot of time on my laptop doing virtual visits. And again, I do those prayer emails. I'm averaging two to 300 a week which really takes time. Yes. 
And I'm writing the scripts for these uh, spiritual ambassador training videos, which I expect to end up with 10. Okay. And getting ready to videotape those and working on the plan to how we're going to process all of that. And um, I'm training some basically Stevens ministers to do grief groups. We're going to start grief groups in November. Wow. Yeah. All of that is so needed. What does the spiritual ambassador training program, what are you envisioning it to look like? So um, the first video just talks about the why, the value added of why we care, why we bring compassion. You know, compassion is the action. Empathy is the feeling. Why do we bring those into the workplace and what difference does it make for us and for the other person and how we encounter the person we're working beside or the person on the phone, you know, anyone. I'm talking to them about learning to listen deeply and listen without judgment in one, which is big. Mm -hmm. It takes, so we do a little, I stop for a little time of practice and then I'm asking them to email me their experience and I'll write back. Um, Okay, so I wanna dig deeper on that one because that's something that we all need. I know I need it because it's easy for me to hear or talk to somebody that thinks differently than I do. Mm -hmm. And it's easier right now for me than it has ever been to write them off as I literally cannot be friends with you because we don't think the same way. So how can we learn to, how can I learn? um, How can I learn to listen without judgment? Every single person that exists is a child of God. Yeah. Every single person is a child of God deeply loved by God, put together by God. And if we knew their understory, if we knew what's behind, what they've experienced and they've lived, we would not pass the same kinds of judgment. Hmm. I am flawed to the core, but I'm comfortable with my flaws. (laughs) I know them. I know where they come from. Um, well, sometimes uh, <laughs> we're learning to know where they come from. Yes, yes. And I look at someone else and they have those same stories. Yeah. So how can I listen to them? And one of the hardest places right now, I have a woman who I'm working with. She is a nurse, an anti-vaxxer. Mm-hmm. She convinced her husband that because it's an RNA process, they should not be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. She texted me a couple of weeks ago. She said, Chaplain, my husband has been in the hospital on the vent. They give him 48 hours to live. Oh, Pray that I can forgive myself because if he'd been vaccinated, he might have had a chance. And it's oh. my fault. Oh. No. So we've begun this long journey that we'll be on for a very long time of self-forgiveness, of non-judgment. She thought she was doing the best thing. And we all as humans were human. Yeah. And I think all of us, we make the best decision that we can most of the time. Trust that even if maybe it doesn't look like it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think, I think that's what we're all trying to do. Yes. And trust that that person that you don't understand, if they could have known then what they know looking back wouldn't have made the same decision probably. Yeah. 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 That's good. Thank you for sharing that. I will try to put that into practice in my own life a little bit too. Tell me about the rest of the spiritual ambassador program. I think we were on video three. Um, Respecting silence. So, you know, a few seconds of silence and people will often come up and begin talking about things they otherwise wouldn't or sometimes need a space. So learning in dialogue with someone to be comfortable with silence is very hard. Maintaining confidentiality. When you are a spiritual ambassador, you're taking on a missional role. And it is absolutely critical that everything that comes to you is completely confidential unless someone's safety is at stake. Mm, yeah. And that's easier for some than others. But, you know, every one of us is called to be missional. That's not a clergy thing. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, and, and part of that is I will honor you by maintaining confidentiality around anything that comes out. Yeah, that's so important. So balancing, listening, and reflecting, looking for feeling underneath words, very important. And and what I'm going to tell them is often when you end a conversation, if you ask somebody to say, what one feeling word would you put on this? It will even surprise them. Really? Yeah, because I think so much of the time, I know for me, I go through my day, I talk to people, I don't think about how I'm feeling about it all. And I, that's interesting. That would be a good self-practice, I think, as well, to kind of get in tune with what's really going on with us and maybe inform some of the words that we are saying or not saying. Yeah, so I'm going to cast back a bit to a previous podcast, but in centering prayer. Mm-hmm. that's what you're doing with God is allowing God the space to say to you, what have you been feeling? What's going on underneath? What's the overarching theme here? That's, that comes out in centering prayer. Yeah. And then, yes. And then to be able to release that for healing yep. as you, yes, yes. That's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So a recent conversation with a surgery scheduler who has lost three family members to COVID in the last couple of months. And I was visiting with her and she was tearfully telling me her story and we got all done. And I said, what one feeling word sums everything up? She expected it was grief or fear. What she realized was she was more stressed. Right now it was stress. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely different thing then to begin to deal with that and to acknowledge, man, I am so stressed. I can't deal with my grief yet. Yeah, for real. I've lost count. Did we get to all 10 videos? Because I definitely want to hear about them before we move on. I don't know that there's 10 topics. Advice free is one. Um, Not giving advice. It's really important when you're sitting with somebody this goes back to no judgment. Mm-hmm. Our, we want to give advice, 
but be with them. Don't fix them. So versus fixing. Yes. Yes. And I think, I know you're doing this for healthcare workers, but I just see that all of us can learn from these practices if we want to incorporate some of this, excuse me, some of this into our everyday work life, our home lives, things like that. So thank you so much for sharing that and for, for doing this. Um, We've talked about the intersection of faith and work and you are, you are doing it. You are right in the middle of that intersection. But I'd love to hear from you what you see as the intersection between, or the relationship rather, between faith and work. It goes back to meaning. So, for example, pre-cancer, I had a job that I was doing well, supporting myself well, uh, fit my family life well, but there wasn't a lot of meaning. I moved into something that for me just pours meaning out and a day can be ever so difficult, but if it's, if it brings you meaning, if you can look back and say, this has really brought a lot of meaning to my life. It takes away so much of the stress and strain, the tired so often I'll come out of a conversation with someone like that surgery scheduler who has lost family members and you would think, man, you must be exhausted. Mm -hmm. I saw a glimmer of faith and hope uh, come into her eyes. And that's where my meaning comes from. When I can see hope dawn, it motivates me, it energizes me. And so I think meaning is at the crux of faith. Mm and work that bring our faith and a personal spirituality without being evangelical, if I can say that, yeah. uh, into the workplace gives our work meaning. Yeah. Yeah. What are some ways that you would suggest, whether we're in healthcare or another type of field, that we can go about being spiritual ambassadors wherever we are? Empathy, kindness, and compassion. Mm. Prayer, even if it's only silent. Um, Often, if you say, may I pray with you, and someone will say no, if you say, may I pray for you after I leave, rarely is that refused. That's spirituality in a healthy way in the workplace. Again, we are all missional. If you go back to Nehemiah's story, everyone's involved. As followers of Jesus, we're called to pour kindness and empathy and compassion out. That's who we're supposed to be. Yeah. So as you're dealing with 4,000 people, plus your own family and people that you know, and I know from just talking to you, you provide spiritual care. It's just who you are. Um, how are you... Because Everybody is exhausted right now, especially if you're trying to give care to other people in any way. Um, How are you being rejuvenated and revived right now so that you can go on to provide care for others? So I rejuvenate um, outdoors. Yes, I'm the same. Sunshine, trees, water. I live in Florida. There's plenty of water, (laughs) plenty of sun. You know, until before COVID, I was a jogger. Right now, I can't jog, but uh, I I can walk. And outdoors, I talked to a counselor yesterday who 
was deeply suffering from secondary trauma. Uh And her employer said four hours a day outside. Wow. Until you feel better. And she said it took her about six weeks. So for me, it's outdoors, it's prayer. Uh And I have a couple of friends who are accountability partners who hold my feet to the fire. Uh That's really important. Yeah. We all need community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned this. And so I want to get into it just a little bit because what is secondary trauma? Because I think we all kind of know, you know, firsthand trauma, but Mm -hmm. what is secondary trauma? So watching you go through trauma and you are my friend causes me trauma. Mm -hmm. Working in a physician office, losing patients that you know is firsthand trauma, but there's also the secondary trauma of all the things going on that you're observing or participating in that affect your psyche. Uh So observing and participating in other people's trauma is a secondary trauma. Yeah. And I think we've all had that. And there's more, yes. And there's moral injury where this is nurses uh, sustaining somebody knowing they're suffering because their their loved ones don't want to let them go, and you know you're participating in their suffering is moral injury. Mm-hmm. Um, similar, yeah. Similar issues. Yeah. How do we how do we navigate through those? How do we know when when we need to reach out for spiritual care? How do we find somebody for either spiritual care or mental health care? They kind of go together, but can be two separate people. You know, it's a good question because counselors are so busy right now. They're actually telling some people, I have so much, I have people that are in so much worse shape than you are and I can't take you on. That's actually happening. Wow. And, you know, I have a spiritual director in my life that I meet with once a month. I've bumped that up to twice a month recently. Uh Everyone needs... A non-anxious, non-judgmental, prayerful place where they can sort their feelings. The person will call them back when they're all done and say, now, what one feeling would you put over all of that? It draws us up short. Mm -hmm. So someone that's not a friend or family member that you can be honest with and that will, you know, keep you self-aware. So much of dealing with our stress is staying self-aware. And if we're not honest with ourselves, we're not self-aware. That's true. That's true. So somebody somewhere in your life, if you can't get a counselor, which I know is going on right now, if you can find a spiritual director, a member care pastor, somebody that you can process with to look kind of pull you outside of your life and look in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important. It's a little scary, but the fruit of that is very rewarding. Um, As you come through the past 18 months, what do you know about God now that you didn't know about him in March of 2020? The hardest things in our life make faith more real. I've gone through this once of my faith becoming my own and not what my parents gave me because of hardship. We have lived in community, the deepest of hardships. 
-hmm. in community we have lost family friends co-workers colleagues people we didn't know but maybe listen to on the radio or whatever mm -hmm. and in community we heal In community, we heal. And in the community of faith, we should find our solace. Definitely. Definitely. You know, God resides. We never invite God in. God resides with us. And when you're in community and you're in pain together, I think is a thin place where that residing God is so visible and so touchable. And you're doing that for for so many people. You're trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. You had mentioned before we started recording that you had a text that had been important to you. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah. Uh, Psalms 107 talks about observing the Lord's power in action and his impressive works on the deepest of seas. He spoke and the winds rose. Stirring up the waves, the ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Lord, help us, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let us praise the Lord. That's beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing that. We have one question that we ask everybody before we wrap up the podcast. But before we do, um, especially in your line of work as the chaplain for people who are on the front lines of this pandemic, who stand in the gap for us every day, even when we're not in a pandemic, how can we pray? be praying for you? And how can we be praying for them as well? So my heart beats. Uh, right now, I'm sorry, for doctors and nurses, they are exhausted. There aren't enough to go around. They hardly have the energy to put one foot in front of the other anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to hold their own lives together. And really, the, the, the gift that we give them is to pray that they'll have the endurance and the strength that God would relieve some of their suffering because they are suffering. I speak for our listeners that we will be praying for that. How can we pray for you as you're working with them? It's the same. Okay. <laughs> and you know, Lord, may our ranks increase. May there be so many people that will sign up and say, I want to be a presence for Jesus in this hurting world. Yeah. For sure. Well, we will be praying for you, for those you care for. And just thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Before we go, I have one question that we ask everybody. Because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, what is one practice? You can have more than one, but just one that is helping you thrive in your life right now. Centering prayer mm -hmm. and nature. Yeah. Yeah. Natural world. I kind of they kind of go together, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yes, very much. Very much. Very much. Yeah. Donna, I said this was the last question, but I always like to ask everyone too, 
if there's anything else they'd like to talk about that I didn't know to ask. I would just say to everyone today, find somebody who works in healthcare and share the love. Mm, yeah. Wherever you stand on the political issues, they're in the center of the storm. So find someone, anyone who works in healthcare and share the love. That's a good word. That's a good word. Donna, this conversation has been a delight. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your story, your dissertation work, and how that's affecting your work now. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Donna Bursky. Just so grateful for her time and for the work that she is doing to help those who are helping us. I hope that like me, you might have learned something today and trust that you will be in prayer, not only for Donna, but for the team of folks that she is working to care for as they stand in the gap for you and for me, that they will find the strength and courage to continue. Thank you again for joining us today. Thanks to Donna for being part of the show. And as always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.